Everyone else, go ahead and take your Bibles and open up with me this morning to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we're going to attempt to make our way through the entirety of the second chapter of the book of Daniel. I- I've got mixed emotions as to whether or not we're going to make it all the way through or not. And we're going to give it a-, a really good effort this morning to make our way through Daniel chapter 2. Now, as we sort of begin this morning, that last song we sang, Follow You Anywhere, what a great introduction to the message this morning. What a great challenge and reminder for us to ask ourselves, are we, are we really willing to follow Jesus anywhere? And is Jesus all that we actually want in this life? Think about that for a moment. Oftentimes we experience lots of difficulties and disappointments in this life. Oftentimes we, we feel like that the world is against us and things are not going as planned. And when we, when we think along those lines, when we act along those lines, what we're actually saying is, God, I feel as if you have lost control of the moment. I feel as if what is coming at me, what I'm dealing with, is not what I ought to be dealing with. And in some way, shape, or form, God, you are, you're just not being God at this moment. Or you're not being a good God in this moment. Or you're not providing for me the way that I should be provided for. Instead of acknowledging that all we really want is Jesus, all we really want is God, that we will follow Him everywhere, anywhere, we will do anything and everything that He asks us to do, because this world and this life is not what it's about. Remember that this is our temporary home, right? This is, this is us living in a tent, waiting for the day that we will go to our eternal and forever home. And as we pick up in Daniel chapter 2, that is exactly what Daniel was trying to remind the nation of Israel about and us about this morning. We are reminded here in the second chapter of Daniel about the eternal kingdom of God. This, this world that we live in, this thing that we are doing, we are all headed towards eternity. Where we will forever dwell either with God or we will forever dwell without God. But there is eternity headed our way. Amen? Amen. And what Daniel is trying to remind us of is that God is going to establish his eternal kingdom. And nothing else really matters except for the fact that God is going to establish his eternal kingdom. And so here Daniel is reminding his readers, he's reminding us of God's promise to establish his eternal kingdom. And in the text this morning, we're going to see four realities concerning the eternal kingdom of God. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up in chapter 2. We're going to read the first 16 verses. We're going to pause there. We're going to pray. And then we're going to make our way through the second chapter as far as we get this morning. When I get hungry, I'll stop. How about that? Right? When you get hungry, I'm not worried about that. When I get hungry, we'll stop and we'll pick up next week. But my goal is we're going to make it to the end. Let's just see what happens between now and 2 o'clock. All right. It'll be all right. I promise. You'll be fine. All right. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, or the Babylonian wise men be summoned 
to tell the king his dream. So they came in and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then notice verse 4. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. Now pause there for a minute. This is just something that is interesting to note. In second, excuse me, chapter 2 verse 4 when it says, Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic. Daniel actually begins to write that section of the text in Aramaic. And he literally writes in Aramaic from chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to the end of chapter 7. This is the only large text of Scripture that is written not in Hebrew in the Old Testament, but actually in Aramaic, which was the sort of the common trade language of the time. It's as if Daniel wants these chapters Three, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. Look at that, I can count. It's as if Daniel wants these chapters to be able to be read by more than just the nation of Israel. Right? We don't know all the, the reasoning, but it's interesting to note. So, picking back up in verse 4. The Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Verse 7, they answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered and said to the king, this is, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariot, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Ariot, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And Ariot made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather together again this morning, as we sit now before your word, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and honored as we walk through this text together this morning. Lord, there is so much information. There is so much to get to here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you help our minds to comprehend the things that your word is declaring to us. Lord, that in faithfulness we would respond in obedience to what your word is declaring. And Lord, that you might be glorified in us 
and through us this morning. I pray that this text would remind us of the eternal kingdom of God that is going to be established, that will be eternal, that will last forever, Lord, that that is our goal, that is what we are shooting for, that is what we are aiming for, and Lord, in all honesty, that's all that really matters in this life. And so, Lord, remind us of that this morning, encourage us with that this morning, and Lord, be glorified as we look at your word. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see four realities concerning the eternal kingdom of God. Number one, the eternal kingdom of God will not come through the power of man. Let me say that again. The eternal kingdom of God will not come through the power of man. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, possibly even during the three-year testing period of Daniel and his companion, notice the text says that Nebuchadnezzar began to have dreams. The text reads as if this was an ongoing dream, a reoccurring dream that happened on more than one occasion, so much so that the text says that Nebuchadnezzar stopped being able to sleep. Every time he went to sleep, he would have this dream to the point that this dream was beginning to drive Nebuchadnezzar mad. He needed to know what the dream meant. Also remember that during this time period in the ancient world, dreams that had meaning and significance were common. It was very common for a king or someone to have a dream, especially if it was a recurring dream, whereby God was trying to tell them or reveal something to them. We see this back in the life of Joseph and Pharaoh, right? We see this evidence elsewhere in Scripture. So Nebuchadnezzar knows that this dream must have significance because he's having this dream over and over and over again. And so he does what any king would have done during this time period. He calls all of those who might might be able to interpret the dream. He calls the magicians, the sorcerers, the astrologers. He calls the Chaldeans or the Babylonian wise men. He calls together all of his courts of wise men and, and those that might be able to interpret and he asks them to interpret the dream. Now understand, again, this is normal. This would have been a part of their job description, if you will. This was not an abnormal thing for a king to ask of his wise men, his sorcerers, and his magicians. What is a little bit off is the fact that Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't want you to just tell me the interpretation. I want you first to tell me what I dream. Now that's the curveball, if you will. That's the, the, the part of this that's a little bit odd, a little bit different. It would have been normal to interpret the dream, but to tell the king what he dreamed and then to interpret it, that's a little bit different. And notice the wise man, the Council of wise men, they, they sort of, ha, 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 that's great. King Nebuchadnezzar, we love you. You're a fantastic guy. If you don't mind, again, look, let me just say this one more time. Tell us the dream, and then we'll interpret the dream for you. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes even more angry because he knows that they're just trying to waste time or buy time, if you will. He knows that if he tells them his dream, they'll make up some kind of interpretation just to save their own lives. And so here's the deal. Nebuchadnezzar says, my word is firm. Tell me the dream and its interpretation. If you do, I will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. If you don't, I will rip you limb from limb. I will kill your entire family, and I will lay to ruin all of your possessions. Well, now we're in what we call a predicament, right? 
This is, this is not a good situation. This is stuck between a rock and a hard place. This is an impossible situation. And that is exactly what the wise men, the Chaldeans, the wise men of Babylon, tell the king in verse 10. And that's the point that Daniel's trying to make clear to us. This is impossible. The wise men say, listen, we're the magicians, we're the sorcerers, the astrologers, the wise men. There's none like us in all the kingdom of Babylon. There is none like us in all of the world. King, what you're asking is impossible. No king has ever asked such a crazy thing from his magicians before. This is not possible for those of us that have flesh. Notice, he says, this is only possible for those who are gods whose dwelling is not in flesh. And what Daniel is trying to make crystal clear to us as we start this story is that what the king is asking is absolutely impossible for man. You see, the reality is we as man are limited in our power greatly. Now, don't tell that to us because that kind of offends us as mankind. Because the reality is we as mankind feel like we can do almost anything we set our minds to. Right? Matter of fact, isn't that the counseling advice that we oftentimes get? You can do anything you set your mind to. No, you cannot. Amen. No, you cannot. And we are reminded that on this very piece of land, the land of Shinar, is the very place that mankind gathered together and tried to build a tower to the heavens thinking that if we get there, we can be like God. It's the very thing that got Eve in trouble in the Garden of Eden, that she could eat of this fruit and be like God. Man does not like acknowledging that we have very limited power. But the reality is we don't control anything in this life. Amen? Amen. Goodness gracious, the last year and a half should certainly remind us of that, right? We have lost control of something that we never had control of to begin with, right? And so what Daniel is trying to help us see, he's setting the stage so that we will know that without God, all of these things are impossible. And what Daniel is doing is he, at the end of this chapter, is going to make it very clear that God is going to establish his eternal kingdom. But before we get there, Daniel has to make it clear that when God establishes his eternal kingdom, it will not come through the power of man. Because man cannot do such a thing. And so notice that the king's guard begins to round up all the Babylonian wise men, the enchanters and the, the astrologers. And he finally comes to Daniel and to his, uh, his companions. And he begins to round them up and says, hey, you guys, come on. we got to kill you. Right? <laughs> and so Daniel, like any of us, goes, time out. What, what's going on here? Um, why, why the urgent need to kill me and my friends here and all the while, okay, we're killing everybody. What's going on? Right? So apparently Daniel and his companions weren't before the king during this, this original decree. But Ariak explains to Daniel, listen, this is what's happening. The king's made this condition. His word is firm and no one has been able to help. And so I've got to go and if you don't mind, I'm going to have to tear you apart limb from limb. Right? And so Daniel rushes in before the king and he says, King, appoint me a time and I will tell you your dream and its interpretation. Now what I want you to notice here as Daniel does this in verses 12 through 16 is Daniel does not have confidence in his flesh and in his ability, but Daniel does have great confidence in his God. 
Daniel knows that what the king has asked is impossible for man, but Daniel also knows that it is not impossible for God. And so Daniel goes in before the king to request this appointment so that he can not only save himself and the Babylonian wise men, but so that he can reveal the glory of God to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel rushes in before the king. Now, as we think through the reality that the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, will not be established through the power of man. As we acknowledge with the Babylonian wise men that this is impossible for man, that this is something that only God can do. It caused me to sort of back up for a minute and to ask myself the question, am I, are we trying to serve our God who's establishing this eternal kingdom of his, are we trying to serve God in the power of man, or are we trying to serve God enabled and empowered by the power of God? Think about it. If God is establishing his eternal kingdom, and it is not going to come by the power of man, then why do we so often try to serve God in our own power and in our own wisdom? And I don't say that to make you feel guilty. I say that to make us feel guilty because the reality is we all do, right? We, we, all, we all tend to, tend to take what we think needs to be done, our wisdom, and we try to do it to the best of our ability, our power, and we just hope that God will bless our mess and then it will be something that pleases God. Instead of realizing that what we really need is we need the power of God. We need to stop thinking, we need to stop doing, and we instead need to get on our knees and pray and ask God for his wisdom, for his direction, and for his power so that we can serve our God in his eternal kingdom under the right power. Amen? Amen. And notice that is exactly what Daniel does, picking up. In verse 17, we must seek the Lord in prayer and allow him to empower our efforts as we follow him. So the eternal kingdom of God will not come through the power of man. The eternal kingdom of God will only come through power of God. Look with me now in verse 17. Since says that Daniel went to his house. He made the matter known to Hananiah, to Michelle, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. No, Daniel says, get on your face and pray and ask God to help us understand this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not excuse me, be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Pause. So here's what Daniel does. Rushes home, tells his companions, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, guys, we're all about to die. The king has had a dream, and he's looking for someone to interpret the dream. But he also needs the interpreter to tell him what he dreamed first to prove that he can actually interpret the dream to begin with. And if we don't come up with the interpretation by tomorrow morning, we are going to die. So here's what we need to do. We need to seek the Lord in prayer, and we need to ask God to pray, or excuse me, ask God to reveal this mystery to us. Now here's why I said false. Because in this moment, when we are faced with similar situations, do we 
pray the easy prayer or do we pray the hard prayer? Here's what I mean by that. The easy prayer is God, take this. God, stop this. Change the king's mind. Change the king's heart. God, don't make me go through this difficulty. Isn't that what Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane? God, stop this. God, take this cup from me. But unlike Jesus, we tend to stop there. Instead of praying what Jesus prays next, what Daniel prays here, Lord, don't take this from me, but instead, help me to be faithful through this difficulty so that you can be the one to get glorified in the process. It's not what we typically pray, amen? And rightfully so. Who wants to go through the difficulty, amen? None of us. But what I love here is that Daniel's prayer, he says nothing about praying that the king will change his mind. He, he's not concerned about whether Nebuchadnezzar changes. He, that's not his concern. God, do the impossible. God, do what only you can do. God, do what I can't do. But do the impossible through me, your servant. So that you can be glorified. I was talking with uh, with a missionary friend of mine this past week, and uh, he was telling me that as, as he was meeting with some some folks that were, were believers that he was trying to, to do some discipling with, that one of them sort of revealed, uh, not that he was trying to brag, but he was actually trying not to reveal it, but he just revealed that that he is being arrested once a month and beaten in his country. And he's trying to let others know, because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want that to sort of take away from, from what the Lord's doing. And I just thought to myself, how amazing that this guy's testimony isn't pray that this will stop, but instead pray that I'll be faithful in the midst of it. It's not my prayer. Amen? My prayer is, God, make this stop. But Daniel's prayer is, God, do the impossible through me. Now, I remember back in chapter 1, verse 17, God gave, that was a common theme throughout chapter 1, God gave Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams. Therefore, Daniel prays, and then what does Daniel do next? He goes to sleep. Listen, this past Friday morning, Noah and I was with duck hunting. First time we've been duck hunting since the last duck season. And, and at like 1.30 in the morning, I, I'm over there going, why can't I sleep? Like, I'm a grown man. I should not be this excited about duck hunting. <laughs> right? I go into Noah's room at 4 o'clock in the morning. I open the door, and he goes, finally. <laughs> How long have you been awake, son? I don't know, but I've been waiting on you for a while. I was about to get up and start walking through the house. <laughs> so I, I meet Gord Akis. We, we go down to the place where we hunt at. And we're, we're kind of looking around, and he said, he says to me, last night when I wasn't sleeping, I was thinking about what we could do to this blind we're trying to build down here. And I laughed. I said, so you're another grown man that could not sleep because you were so excited about going hunting in the morning. I said, he's like, yep, pretty sad, isn't it? I'm thinking, man, I, I can't get a good night's sleep when I'm, when I'm worried about duck hunting the next day, right? But here, Daniel is facing his body being torn into pieces the next day. And he prays and says, God, do this. And he goes to sleep. That's confidence and faith in God. Amen? Amen. 
That's giving the impossible to God, asking for God to do what only God can do, knowing that you can't do it. That's why I'm trying to help us see we cannot do things on our own power. That's what we try to do, right? We say, God, will you take this from me? No, let me go over here because God isn't going to do it. Let me figure out what I need to do to fix the problem. That's our problem. We're the problem. Get out of the way. Give it to God and go to sleep. Trusting that God will do something. Amen? That's exactly what he does. He goes to sleep. And just like he had prayed in a vision in the night, God gives Daniel the revelation. God answers Daniel's prayer. And just like we ought to do when God does what only God can do, when God once again proves himself faithful, Daniel blesses the God of heaven. And Daniel sings this song of praise to the God of heaven. Look with me now in verses 20 through 23. And I'm not going to sing this to you. You're welcome. But instead, we're going we're to go through this song and we're going to just look at what Daniel confesses about God in this song. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. In other words, God, you are eternal. To whom belong wisdom and might. In other words, God, you are all-knowing and all-powerful. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. In other words, God, you are sovereign. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. In other words, God, you are the only source of truth. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within it. In other words, God, in your mercy and in your grace, you reveal your truth to us. Now just pause there for a moment because I don't want us to blow by that truth because that's ridiculous. God gives us the ability to understand and know truth through his grace and through his mercy. And that characteristic and trait of God is the way in which we actually get to know the truth about Jesus. Think about that for a moment. You didn't come to know the truth about Jesus because you were smart. You didn't come to know the truth about Jesus because you deserved it or because you figured it out. You came to know the truth about Jesus because God turned the light on you. Amen. That's something to praise God for. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that in my foolishness, in my lack of understanding, that you revealed to me what was hidden. You made known to me the truth about Jesus when I did not deserve it and could not have comprehended it on my own. That also helps us to see how we should pray for others. Instead of praying in judgment towards others, we should pray in humility that God revealed the truth to them like he did to you. Because if not, there by the grace of God will you. Right? But oh, how we love to think so highly of ourselves. Amen? But let me remind you, the eternal kingdom of God will not be established by the power of man. Amen. It is not up to me and you. We're the problem. Let's get out of this way. Amen? Amen. And so, 
Daniel acknowledges you're the one that reveals truth according to your grace and your mercy. Verse 23, he continues in song. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. You have now made known to me what I ask of you. You have made me Excuse me, you have made known to us the king's matter. In other words, Daniel says, God, you answer our prayers. God, you did what only you can do. And you answered our prayers. And then Daniel goes in before the king. Notice in verse 24, Daniel went to Ariak, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and he said to him, thus... Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And so Daniel goes to Arach. Arach, then notice verse 25, brings Daniel before the king. Arach brought Daniel in before the king in haste and said to him thus, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. I love, by the way, Arach tries to get a little bit of credit if he can, right? <laughs> Guess what I found? Figured it out for you. Right? And he says, one of the exiles from Judah, he can tell you what the dream meant, and he can tell you about the dream. And so in verse 25, the king, excuse me, 26, the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Now again, let's carefully walk through Verses 27, 28, 29, and 30 together. Because I, I don't want us to miss what Daniel's trying to make very, very clear to us. First of all, in verse 27, Daniel agrees with the other wise men that what the king has asked for is impossible for man. Daniel answered the king in verse 27 and said, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. And so Daniel's making it very clear, King, what you are asking for is impossible for man. But, verse 28, there is a God in heaven. Now, notice, the king called together the enchanters, the magicians, and the astrologers, right? He called in those who look to the heavens for answers, and Daniel says, instead, I know the God of heaven. You don't have to look to the heavens for answer. All you have to do is know the God of heaven. Amen. 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 And he says, I know the God of heaven. He says, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay into bed are these. So here's what Daniel says in verse 28. He says, there is a God in Israel. He, by the way, is the one true God. He's the one who reveals mysteries because he is the one who is sovereign and he is the one in control. And the God of heaven is trying to make known to you, O king, what will happen in the latter days. All right, now that phrase, latter days, it is a highly debated highly mysterious term in the Bible that most scholars still don't completely agree about as far as the exact timing of what latter days meant. Most likely, latter days is the period of time that we think of that began with the inauguration of the eternal kingdom of God when Jesus came onto the scene. So it begins with Jesus' uh, his incarnation, 
his death, his resurrection, and it continues through the ascension into the time period that we're living in now, and it will continue until the second coming of Christ when Jesus will come back and he will finally and fully establish the kingdom of God. Right? Now, yes, it can also be a, a term used to sort of focus in on the end of it, the second coming of Christ. But most of the time in Scripture, that term latter day is referring to that huge period of time between the coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. Right? And so here is what the king or Daniel says. God is making known to you what's going to happen in the latter days. God's preparing not just you, king, but he's preparing his people for what's going to happen in the latter days. What is going to happen in the coming of the Messiah. And here is what Daniel says in verses 29 and 30. To you, O king, as you lay in your bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known made this known to you. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. In other words, Daniel says, King, before I tell you anything else about the dream, I need you to understand this. This is not me. This is not my wisdom. This is not my ability. This did not come through the power of man. This can only come through the power of God. And Daniel says, I want you to know before I open my mouth again that this was not me. This is God being gracious to me and to you. So that God can tell you what you're thinking, what the thoughts in your head actually mean. And so Daniel makes it clear that what's been done by God and not by man and that is fitting because Daniel is about to reveal the dream to the king. And what this entire chapter is going to make clear is that the eternal kingdom of God to come will not be established by the power of man, but can only be established by the power of God. And so we pick up now in verse 31, and we're going to keep on trucking, and we're going to see our third point this morning. The eternal kingdom of God will be established through the stone, which is Jesus. Alright, so you're not getting out early, you're getting out late. So just deal with that and pick up with me now in verse 31. Amen? Okay. Everybody's loving it, I know. And if you're not, you're just quiet. That's even better. Alright, so verse 31. Daniel says, Here's what you dreamed. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron. Its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. And as you look, the stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay. And it broke them into pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, and all of them together, they were broken into pieces. They became like chaff or dust of the summer, threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not even trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain. And fill the whole earth. And just to make sure we're following the image, Daniel says, here's what you dream. You saw a great, magnificent image. It was a statue, if you will. It was bright. It was glowing. It was frightening to look upon because it was so bright and magnificent. It was a head made of gold. It was arms and upper body made of silver. It was stomach and thighs made of bronze. 
and legs made of silver with the feet a mixture of silver and clay together. And then all of a sudden, a stone was cut out, not by human hand. In other words, the dream made it clear that this was a divine act of God. A stone was cut out, and that stone was then thrown into the feet of the statue, and it burst the feet of the statue into pieces. And as the feet went, so the rest of the statue came collapsing down. And when the dust settled, there was nothing left of the statue. But the wind came and blew it all away so that there wasn't even a trace of it left. Now, like Nebuchadnezzar, we're all wondering, what does the dream mean? Amen? And so Daniel says, now, King, I will interpret the dream. Now, before we dive in, understand again, these verses are difficult. The exact meaning and timing of these things is still debated amongst scholars today. However, the general meaning seems to be as follows. Notice what Daniel says in verse 36. He says, this was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. We're going to read through this and talk through this uh, together. You, O king, verse 37, the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of heaven. Notice the, 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 the faint mention of Genesis there. Making you rule over all of them, you are the head of God. And so he says to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, you and the Babylonian empire, you are the head of God. However, notice your kingdom will not last forever. Because another kingdom, verse 39, inferior to you shall arise after you. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And so Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what the dream means. You are the head of gold, but there's another kingdom that's going to come after you. That's the silver chest and arms. Historically, that would be the Medo-Persian Empire that actually is going to overthrow the Babylonian Empire during Daniel's lifetime and at the end of the Babylonian captivity. So in about 65 years or so after this conversation, the Medo-Persian Empire will come in and overthrow Babylon. But that kingdom also will not be established forever. But another kingdom is going to come in after them and going to overthrow that kingdom represented by the bronze stomach and legs. That would be the Greece, the empire of Greece, led by Alexander the Great, who, as you know historically, took over more land than anyone before him and established the, 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 the empire of Greece under Alexander the Great. However... His empire also will not last forever. And there's going to be a fourth empire represented by the silver and by the clay. Notice that as the metal goes down, the metal deteriorates in value, but the metal also gets stronger as it goes down as well. And so silver being the strongest metal, notice what it says in verse 40. There shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron. Because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. Some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and 
partly brittle. And as you saw, the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And so there's going to be a fourth empire. Historically, this is the Roman Empire. It will rise and it will be stronger than all the other empires before it. As a matter of fact, historically, it's the strongest and greatest empire that the world has ever seen. And it will rule far longer than the rest. And although it is strong, it will be a divided empire. Think historically, but also think biblically when Jesus does come onto the scene and Israel and Jerusalem are under the rule of the Roman Empire. Notice it is a divided empire, right? Israel hates Rome. Rome doesn't like Israel, but if Israel and Jerusalem don't walk a straight line, Rome will come in and they'll enforce their peace, right? But forced peace is not actual peace, right? And so it's strong, but it's divided. And the Roman Empire will also not last forever. As a matter of fact, what is the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Greco, the Greece, and Roman Empire all have in common? They're gone. They're gone. And by the way, I would imagine that those who lived during the heights of those empires could have never imagined them being gone. Right? I think that should remind us to be humble and to understand that anything that's been established by the power of man will not last forever. That includes America. Amen? Amen. I know that, listen, I know that we love to read into the book of Revelation. We love to see that Babylon there. We love to think of it, oh, that's got to be America, because as Americans, we just assume we have to be here. We don't have to be here. Amen? Amen. We don't. I know that hurts our American pride, but the reality is we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Right? We're a strong empire. Praise the Lord, I live here. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm, I'm glad, but I'm not foolish enough to think that something that was established by the power of man is going to last forever. Because as this dream makes clear, all that man can accomplish, all that man can do will be dust before God. Because it is God who will cut out and bring forth the stone, the stone that is Jesus. Right? And it is Jesus that will be hurled at the world. And it is Jesus who will establish his eternal kingdom. Look at what it says in verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that the stone was cut from mountains by no human hand and that broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known this to the king. What shall be after this? The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. So here is what Daniel says. There is a stone that is coming. And that stone will be the Messiah. That stone will be Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Amen? He will be the cornerstone that was rejected by man but chosen by God. Amen? And he will come in and he will destroy all the other kingdoms of the earth. He will lay them to ruin and he will establish his eternal kingdom. 
Now again, the question is, when will this happen? Well again, most scholars agree with what I think is pretty clear in Scripture. The inauguration of the kingdom happened when Jesus first came onto the scene. As a matter of fact, remember what we saw back in Mark, these two verses that I hope you became sick of hearing because you read them so much. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen? So when is the kingdom going to come? It already has been inaugurated. Jesus comes onto the scene, the time, is, the time has come, the time is at hand, the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus is still establishing his eternal kingdom. When will it be finally and fully established? At his second coming. When Jesus comes back and he lays all the kingdoms of man to ruin and he establishes his eternal kingdom once and for all. And notice the confidence David has, or excuse me, Daniel has before the king. He says, King, I want you to understand that what has been spoken has come from God. Therefore, it is a guarantee. It is sure and it's firm. Now, what I love by that is Daniel's a wise man. He says, King, you remember how earlier you said that your word was firm? And you were all big and mighty, King. I'm going to rip you into pieces. <laughs> he said, the one who's actually in charge has spoken these words. His word is actually firm. It's going to happen. Amen? Mm -hmm. It's going to happen. And so what we begin to see is that the eternal kingdom of God is going to be established by the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we become a part of that eternal kingdom? Well, we remember what we learned in the Gospel of Mark. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent, believe, follow Jesus. Amen? Repent of your sins that separate you from God. Believe in who Jesus is and what he accomplishes on the cross and commit your life to following Jesus. You believe, good for you, so does the devil. What makes you a true citizen of heaven is that you follow Jesus in your life. Amen? The eternal kingdom of God will not be established by the power of man. The eternal kingdom of God will come only through the power of God. The eternal kingdom of God will be established through the stone of Jesus. And then fourthly and finally, the eternal kingdom of God will be established for the glory of God. Look at verse 46. Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. The king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief, uh, chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over all the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So here's what happens. Notice a couple things that I find kind of interesting here. Notice Nebuchadnezzar isn't upset at the news that his kingdom is going to be overthrown. I mean, right? Like, you're the gold, but there's a one rising after you, the silver, that's going to take you out. Nebuchadnezzar isn't upset about this. 
Because Daniel has declared the word is firm. Deal with it. Nebuchadnezzar is just so relieved that he finally knows what the dream means that he begins to pay homage and give praise to Daniel and his God. You know, it's unusual that a servant of God allows someone to pay homage in the worshipful way that it appears Nebuchadnezzar does to Daniel here. But notice how that flips around and notice the irony of here Nebuchadnezzar is bowing at Daniel's feet and giving Daniel's God glory. Daniel, truly you serve the king of kings, the God of gods, the one who reveals mysteries because he's the only one who actually knows the mysteries. Right? And so God is the one that in turn gets glorified. But not only is God the one that gets glorified, but God's glory is now revealed to the nations. So Daniel's set in charge. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're set in charge under Daniel. And now they are ruling over all the affairs and all the province of Babylon. And what is God doing? God is continuing to set the stage so that his sovereignty will be on display so that he will continue to be glorified. Because what's about to happen with those that have just been exalted and lifted up, they're about to be told to bow to a fake God in chapter 3. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who now everyone knows, everyone's going to get to see bring glory to God. Right? What's going to happen in Daniel chapter 5? Same thing, just a different story. Daniel on the lion's den instead of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. But God is elevating these men as his servants so that they can continue to bring him glory as they follow God in their lives. And the reality is that's the reason the eternal kingdom of God is being established. It is being established for the glory of God. Listen, God does love you. And God does want a relationship with you. And he does send Jesus because he loves you in order to have a relationship with you. But ultimately, I want you to understand that God is more concerned with his glory than he is in love with you. I know that sounds harsh, but because God is who he is, it is right for God to be concerned about his glory. And it is a glorious thing for a merciful God to take sinners like us and make them not just citizens of his kingdom, but children of God. That's crazy God. That is incredible grace and incredible mercy that causes our God to be one glorified above all others. Amen? And that's why God is establishing his eternal kingdom to begin with. It's not just so we can live with him forever. It's not so we can enjoy his company forever. It is so that we will bring him glory amongst the nations. So how can you become a part of the eternal kingdom of God? By trusting in the one that he sent to establish it. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Son. Believing that Jesus truly is the Son of God who died on the cross to pay for your sin and mine. Believing that he didn't stay dead, but he victoriously rose from the dead, defeating death and the grave. Believing that just like he came, one day he's going to come again. Amen? Amen. And that's when he's going to fully and finally establish the eternal kingdom of God for eternity. And that if we would believe in Jesus, 
If we would forgive, or excuse me, confess and repent of our sins that separate us from a holy God. And if we would commit to following Jesus in our lives, then we would be saved, we would be forgiven, and we would be made children of God and citizens of His kingdom. Will you pray with me? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, let me begin by just asking, are you a citizen of heaven? Are you a child of God? In other words, have you come to the place in your life where you believe in who Jesus is? You believe he is the son of God. You believe he died on the cross. You believe he rose from the dead. You believe in Jesus. Have you come to the place where you have repented of your sin? You've acknowledged that you are a sinner, that your sin separates you from the love of God. And have you repented of your sin to the point that you've confessed it and you've asked for God's forgiveness? You see, Jesus didn't die on the cross because his father was mean. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins because the wages of sin is death. And therefore, Jesus died to pay for our sin because God loves us that much. And then if you come to the place in your life where you've not just believed those things and confessed those things, but your belief has led to action, and you are now following Jesus. Listen, don't, don't misunderstand the difference between belief and between following. There are many who believe there are many who confess, but yet do not follow Jesus. They are not true believers, and they are not citizens of the kingdom. Make sure in your life, whether you're here in this building or you're watching online, make sure that you are one who is following Jesus. And if you're not, let this be a warning, let this be a reminder, let this be a wake-up call to you. God loves you, and he wants you to follow him in your life. If you're here this morning, if you're listening online, and you've never trusted Jesus, then I want you to have the opportunity to do so today. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation. I'll be down front welcoming you. If you're here in this building, I'd love to talk to you more about how you can commit your life to following Jesus. If you're watching online, then reach out to us. Uh, send us a message, a private message, text, whatever you need to do. But reach out and let us help you learn what it means to follow Jesus. Believers, maybe you're here this morning. You're going through the difficulty. You're going through the tough time. And, and all this time you've been praying, God, take this from me. Maybe this morning the Lord is encouraging you to pray something different. Maybe you should be praying, God, be glorified through this. Use me through this and help me to bring glory to you even amidst the difficulties. Maybe you're here this morning. You're a church member and you're faithful and, and you've been trying to serve the Lord in your own power and by your own wisdom. And like me, you need to confess this morning, Lord, forgive me for thinking that I had the power on my own. And we need to commit to seeking the Lord through prayer and to seeking God's empowerment 
so that we can be enabled to serve him faithfully as a part of his kingdom. Whatever and how the Lord is doing, the altar is open. I'm here to pray. You pray where you're at, but you follow the Lord as he leads this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you are doing now in our hearts and in our midst. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified as we follow you now through this time of decision. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.